Well, welcome to another edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. Happy Labor Day to you. I don't know that it would necessarily be considered. Well, if you get into the history of Labor Day, you <laughs> oftentimes, you know, we go, yeah, it's a nice holiday, but let's be honest. This is the holiday every year that nobody really knows why we celebrate it. I mean, it's okay to, to acknowledge that. Uh, it took me, I mean, to be honest with you, until I started doing this program, gosh, uh, oh my goodness, we're coming up on our... Uh, our 12th anniversary of the Bottom Line Show is two weeks from today, and if or two weeks from tomorrow, actually. And if we if we were totally honest, we would say, hey, you know what? Until we start doing the Bottom Line Show and doing these holiday programs and things like that, I didn't really know much about the holidays. And so I'd like to get into some of the history, because if you have today off, good for you. Uh, if you don't have today off, hopefully at least you're getting... Uh, time and a half or double time. I don't know if the unions do triple time anymore. But Labor Day is a holiday that has a rich history here in the United States. But, you know, nowadays it's one of those things where it's kind of a grilling day. It's uh, it's the end official end of summer, even though summer doesn't officially end until is it September 20th or 21st. But it's, it, it's interesting when you look at the history of this to begin to realize you know, oftentimes we will, as Christians especially, will fight for American ideals, American principles. Um, some people on the progressive side of Christianity say, well, that's just Christian nationalism. And I don't know. Well, I could see where it could be misconstrued that way. I don't know that it necessarily is that way for a lot of people. It's just that's the way leftists look at everything. If you don't agree with me, then there's something wrong with you and you're a fascist. <laughs> you know, and so those are the same people, ironically in many cases, who are perfectly fine with a former president of the United States saying, I think the election was stolen and now I'm indicted and thrown in jail and he surrendered and, you know, all that mug shots. And it's just, it's an interesting time that we're living in. But perhaps the most interesting aspect of the time we're living in right now is that it's really not a whole lot different than it was 100 years ago or 200 years ago. We have just have different ways of talking about it. Um, when you take a look at uh, Labor Day, Labor Day is celebrated, commemorated the first Monday in September. And the reason for the holiday, ostensibly, is just to say, hey, um, you know, we want to honor our nation's workforce with a day off in the middle of the week or start of the week. Unlike some of the other holidays, like President's Day and things that kind of got moved into Monday, Labor Day's always been the first Monday of September. As a matter of fact, it's been the first Monday of September as a federal holiday since 1894. First declared a national holiday. Well, considering the United States was just a little over 100 years old back then, but that, that's a pretty lengthy history. Even days like Memorial Day and Veterans Day don't have the, 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 the same history. Of course, Veterans Day, you know, dialed into World War I. But I want to get into a little bit of the history of Labor Day, because as I think as good Americans and good Christians and good citizens, those of us who say, I love God and I love my country, uh, we are wise to be educated with as much information as we can about said country. It's too easy to gloss over the, in 1492, Columbus sailed the ocean blue, and then by uh, July 4th, 1776, we kind of fast forward there. Well, with a quick pit stop in 1621 for the first Thanksgiving. But then we just, let's face it, we do. 
Right? I mean, that's kind of the way American history is taught. Then we leapfrog to July 4th, 1776, and we hold these truths to be self-evident. All men are uh, created equal, endowed by their creator with certain inalienable or unalienable rights, which include life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And then we have the Civil War where we freed the slaves, which would never, if we really did believe in the tenets of the Declaration of Independence, we wouldn't have needed that battle in 1861 through 65. And then, of course, well, we everything was fine from that point on, except 100 years later, we had to have a Civil Rights Act and affirmative action because we were still being cruel and horrible to each other based on race and gender discrimination and things of that nature. Notice I said gender discrimination, not sexual orientation discrimination. Big difference between men holding women back in the workforce and people who like to get intimate with people of the same gender. You know, one's a choice and one's a, a, a reality. But here's the, the situation regarding Labor Day. If you're probably wondering, okay, well, why Labor Day? It just sounds kind of more industrial. Let's set the Wayback Machine to America post-Civil War. So anytime after 1865. Uh, what had been happening is we were moving from the agricultural revolution to the industrial revolution. And so more of the workers were working in factories, they were building railroads. They were working in mills. They were working in mines. It wasn't just, you know, working on the farm or having the little blacksmith shop downtown. And so when it came to uh, who was working and who was the, uh, the hirer, as it were, the employer, the employers held all the cards. If, if you, when you ran your own farm, you were basically in business for yourself. So all those activities were, you know, circulating around the fact that you ran a business. When you went to go to work at a mine or at a mill or a factory, now you worked for somebody else. And so when it came to, you know, if you were a farmer working, you wouldn't count the hours that you put in. You know, I'm, I'm sun up to sundown, seven days a week, everybody's milking cows and shoeing horses and all that stuff. And you don't really think about it because the overall investment is this is where you're getting your food. This is where you're, you, you've got a homestead. This is what you're actually doing to create, you know, a life for yourself. But as we move from the agricultural revolution to the industrial revolution, something odd happened in the culture. We went from I control my own destiny, basically, to I, I go from milking my own cows to milking somebody else's cows, basically. And so there weren't any rules, really, when it came to labor. Most people would agree that you work six days a week and the Sabbath is Sunday. Nobody did anything on Sundays. That was still kind of there. Um, the idea that you work from sunup to sundown was still also pretty common. So it was not unusual for a quote-unquote normal work day to consist of 12, 13 hours of work and six days a week. What was interesting was how bad the working conditions were. I mean, if we were just kind of figuring out what a factory looked like, there weren't any rules with regard to how many people you had to have in the factory or could have in the factory. Uh, what kind of space regulations were there? Uh, they, these were old wooden buildings, right? Or maybe some metal buildings. Ventilation? No one thought about that. It was how can you get the most amount of workers and workspace, you know, supplies, whatever, in the said area? And another thing, too, you know, we weren't necessarily a highly educated country at that point. If you're agricultural, a lot of people, you know, the sons would go to school. Daughters would go, you know, at the, at the little, you know, little house of the prairie country schoolhouse. And you went to school as long as your family could afford to have you in school 
and not working on the farm. But as the boys got older, hey, we need that manpower around here to you know milk those cows and shoe those horses. And the women, uh, the, the young ladies who were thinking of marriage at age 14, 15, 16, go back and look at the annals of some of the state constitutions as they were being incorporated into the United States of America and, and find things. I remember being in high school, what, 45 years ago, and was surprised to find that the age of consent or the age where you could marry, I think one state was like Iowa, you could get married if you were a boy, 16. If you were a girl, you'd get married at 14. You didn't need parental permission. You could just do it. You know, I mean, it, 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 we've come a long way. But so the employees weren't necessarily limited to just men. There were men, women, children, whoever could do it, whoever wanted to earn the paycheck. And so if you're the employer, you hold all the cards. Because now the farms are shutting down and moving toward steel mills and uh, the railroads are being built and the factory worker mentality of the Industrial Revolution changed the way people were compensated. So by 1882, union leaders began to organize uh, their employees say, hey, wait a minute, there's more of us than there are of them. You know, they, the owners, can't survive without us, the workers. So there's got to be some kind of uh, truce, if you will. There's got to be some kind of arrangement. There's got to be some kind of understanding. It was on September 5th, 1882, that union leaders in New York City organized what they thought, what was now thought to be the first Labor Day parade. And this is basically, it was a day when the workers all got together and said, we are taking this day off because we're going to have a a, a parade. And so you had labor unions that were forming for people who anywhere from uh, dressmakers to tradespeople, bricklayers, jewelers had their own union, if you can believe it. People who set uh, the teletype and typographers, they, they had their own as well. They took unpaid leave. They said, hey, look, we don't care if you you pay us or not, but we are going to march in the street to remind everybody of how many people are working here and how bad the conditions are. So they had a parade through New York City, and then afterwards they had picnics and speeches and fireworks and dancing, and it was tons of fun. This went on for about a decade, and it spread. It began to spread like wildfire. As a matter of fact, By the time the federal government took a look at this, there were 24 states that were offering basically an official state holiday for the labor that they actually, in fact, did. So by the time Labor Day, as we now know it, the first Monday in September 1894 rolled around, uh, it had been recognized as a federal holiday. But something happened in between 1882 and 1894 that is important for us to remember because now we just think of it as a day that says, okay, this is if you're near the ocean, this is your last beach day, kids are all going to be back in school by tomorrow at the very latest, and this is kind of the unofficial, just as Memorial Day is the unofficial start to summer, Labor Day is the unofficial end to summer. But what happened that led to the federal government saying, we need to do something about this? We'll talk about that coming up next as The Bottom Line continues. Welcome back to this Labor Day edition of The Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, and uh, glad that you've tuned in uh, today as we talk about Labor Day and the history of it. Uh, The first official Labor Day parade that we have uh, information on was when union leaders in New York City organized uh, uh, an an event that happened on the first Monday of, of September in 1882. That was September 5th. Literally tens of thousands of people, some were in unions, some were not, uh, took a day off without pay and said, we're going to march. We just want 
the business owners to know what it's like to not have us here for a day. And they had, uh, you know, uh, parties and uh, fireworks and speeches and picnics and things like that in local parks afterward. By the time we got to 1894, when it became a national holiday, there were 24 states that were celebrating this holiday. That got someone's attention. But the actual roots of Labor Day were more than just a matter of, hey, look at all the laborers who want to take a day off without pay for um, to bring to light what they do for working. In Chicago in 1886, you may have heard of this, the Haymarket Riot. It was a, a, a big clash that uh, that grew literally out of some pretty violent other clashes between labor workers and police and uh, thousands of workers in chicago took to the streets and basically you know what they were asking for an eight hour work day <laughs> that's right i mean think about this eight hour work day that now i mean you talk to somebody you know what are your regular hours i work monday through friday nine to five eight to five whatever it is and I work a 40-hour week, and you work a half hour over that, and you're clamoring for overtime. But it's interesting to, to think that the Haymarket riot of May 1st, 1886, uh, in Chicago really took a lot of Americans, caught us unaware as to how bad the situation was between organized labor and um, you know what was happening in the government. So it's interesting when you see how the government operates today. I don't know if you've ever seen those memes where uh, someone will, usually it's with dogs. You know, the, the, the domestication of dogs has been uh, kind of a joke on the internet for quite some time because of the fact that uh, dogs used to be bred for some pretty noble and rough and tumble things. And uh, like there's one, <laughs> one I saw recently um, where uh, there's a picture of a, a terrier, one of those wire-haired terriers sitting in the front seat in a car seat next to the guy who's driving the car. And the dog wearing a little sweater and looking just really kind of happy and everything like that. And the caption underneath says, when your ancestors were bred to hunt rodents, but you're on your way to Starbucks. <laughs> and it just made me laugh because I thought, you know, this is, how far, this is what is deemed progress sometimes. The fact that we take animals that had a purpose we have something that did have a, an effective purpose and then all of a sudden we just start regulating the daylights out of it we have animal protection laws now of course you know no cruelty to animals and things like that but it's gotten to the point where a lot of people unfortunately are treating their animals like people uh giving them human names and giving them human clothes and uh treating them like members of the family now not to say your animal is not a member of the family but it's just interesting to see how values have changed over the past 100, 150 years, and especially in light of Labor Day and the fact that the government finally intervened and said, all right, here's the deal, because there were more government unions starting to show up. People who worked for the federal government and state governments were actually, uh, were actually um, you know, organizing as well. And so the federal government declared that uh, Labor Day would be a national holiday. It meant that the federal workers who were under union control would wind up getting that day off with pay. I know a lot of people don't like Monday holidays, like the Juneteenth holiday came up a couple of years ago. And uh, a lot of people were pushing back against it, not because they um, had an objection to commemorating the, uh, the day officially that slavery was uh, finally ended, June 19th, 1865, but the fact that it meant another federal holiday, which means it's going to cost the American taxpayer another billion or so dollars in paid time off for federal workers.
I mean, if you're a federal worker right now, God bless you, because uh, you're, you're doing just fine. But it's interesting to see how when the government intervenes and tries to do something, you know, that will have an impact on the labor market, how it can actually just really go sideways. Case in point, right now, one of the big uh, rallying cries of the Biden administration is uh, climate change, climate control. How do we stop uh, global warming or global cooling, depending on the day? And how do we make our appliances more energy efficient? Let's get rid of the gas burning stoves and let's see if we can put everybody in electric cars and that type of stuff. Now, as Christians, we should be all for anything that enhances the environment. We have been charged, as going back to Adam and Eve, with caring for the garden. I mean, basically, they were the first two people on earth, and their job was to care for what God had created. So we're talking plants and trees and sky and seas and all those things. And when you look at what's happening now, well, you get an idea of how, what a poor job we've done of doing that. I'm sitting in a studio right now that's filled with all sorts of non-biodegradable material and things that uh, probably would not, would not make the Lord happy, I would imagine. But this is how all the homes are built in this country. This is how we're in the home studio today because of the holiday. And so uh, it's just amazing to see how many people will say, well, if only we got rid of this, if only we added that, that will make things better. And I've got an example on the other side of this break here on Labor Day that uh, it's a government regulation that's being floated right now. It's part of the green agenda. It's something you may or may not have in your home right now, but millions of Americans do have these in their homes. The administration wants to change the way they're made. And when you look at the cost benefit, how much it's going to cost the industry, what it's going to do to those who actually make this product versus how much the average American family will save in cost and in carbon footprint, you begin to get the idea that maybe just maybe the government, what was it Ronald Reagan famously said, government is not the solution to our problems, government is the problem. We'll talk about that as it pertains to ceiling fans coming up next as the bottom line continues you can protect against market volatility without investing all your money into bonds wilson financial has simply better alternatives the last 12 months there has been almost 1.7 trillion invested in investment grade bonds this move to safety locks up money for a long time of guaranteed low returns why market volatility well, my comment is why go with low earnings for a long time when you can get great earnings with a solid real estate-backed investment paying you 6% over the next three years. After three years, you can invest in another option, or you can do what most of our investors do and reinvest in another one of our new exclusive 6% accounts. This strategy gives you the best of both options without settling for many years of low returns. Our 3D Money 6% account pays you great interest while you're not subjecting yourself to market volatility. Call 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970, or visit kbrightradio.com slash Wilson Financial and ask about Dennis Wilson's exclusive real estate-backed 6% investment account. Wilson Financial Services, for simply better alternatives. Welcome back to this edition of the Bottom Line Show, Labor Day 2023. I'm Roger Marsh, as we've been talking about the history of the holiday, uh, and also taking a look at this uh, new mandate that's been proposed by the Biden administration. Um, first, it was vehicles, you know, let's get the cars off the road uh, that burn gasoline. And that's kind of here in the People's Republic of California. We understand that. Uh, Governor Newsom has been pushing that for quite some time. But then it came the, uh, well, this is right up there kind of in the, along the lines of the plastic straws, you know, bad for the environment. They're not biodegradable. The birds get hurt. Let's all go to paper straws, which aren't 
any good. Um, but then, of course, it was the gas stoves in homes, and let's ban all those and go all electric once again. Um, a very wise pundit uh, pointed out that if everything goes electric in your home and you get rid of the gas, then it would be a lot easier for the those who control the power grid to determine how who gets electricity, who gets energy, who doesn't. Well, what would be the next area of uh, how do we keep things nice and clean and tidy in the United States? How about, are you ready for this? This is crazy, ceiling fans. That's right, there's a new green energy proposal by the Biden administration that is basically proposing that all of the ceiling fans that you have in your home and I have in my home and people have in their businesses and on their patios and everything, they're not green enough they're not energy efficient enough. And so in an effort to save energy, um, they would want these new ceiling fans. Now, the Republicans that sit on the House Committee on Small Businesses say that if the rule does go into effect, it's basically going to put small manufacturers of ceiling fans out of business. That impacts about 30% of the industry. The next issue is... I mean, they, they want to put more stringent regulations on all household appliances. So whether it's stoves, washing machines, ovens, et cetera, et cetera, why not throw ceiling fans in the mix? Well, here's a couple of reasons why. First and foremost, the cost. The manufacturers associated with the increased equipment cost will be looking at paying an extra $86.6 million per year. Now, let's take a look at a ceiling fan cost. Go on uh, Wayfair or Overstock or whatever it is now, Beth Band. Beth, bed bath and beyond and look at a ceiling fan they go anywhere from 100 bucks to maybe 500 to a thousand dollars so let's say a good ceiling fan is going to run you around 300 dollars. you have a three bedroom home and a living room and a family room and you might have six ceiling fans in your home so now you're going to spend at least 1800 dollars to replace those fans right okay um, maybe more because the energy efficient models, no doubt were going to cost more because the little guys are put out of business because they can't compete. So you contribute to that $86.6 billion per year. Houses cost more because now these so-called more energy efficient models of uh, these ceiling fans wind up costing more. And, uh, and then there's the other issue too that no one wants to talk about in the green energy world. I just find this amazing. What do you do with the old ceiling fans? I mean, can you retrofit them so that they might become energy efficient as well? Or do they just sit in a landfill? I mean, what people don't realize with, say, solar energy panels is when you put solar energy panels on the top of your home, they have a lifespan of 15 to 20 years. And at the end of 20 years, you know what happens to them? Nothing. You take them down off the roof, throw them in a landfill, and they sit forever. So maybe you saved a few bucks on your energy costs and maybe you saved, you know, we're not using natural gas to heat the home. We're using a, a solar generated heat, but that's only a small temporary blip. And this is where progressives really don't care about people and really don't care about the environment. Right now, it feels good to progressives to have electric cars. But in the future, when all sorts of electric car batteries are clogging up landfills, progressives won't care because they won't be here, Right. Oh, by the way, the average savings in the home. Let's say you replace all six of your ceiling fans. I'm just using that as an average number. You spent close to $2,000 one time to replace them. You know what your energy savings is going to be? Uh, $39. 
over the life of the new fan. Let's say the fan lasts 10 years. Every fan will now save you $3.90 a year. So you have to spend two grand right now, but over 10 years, you'll save $39 per fan. Multiply that by six. So you're going to spend 2000 to save 240 and your non-biodegradable fan will sit in a landfill and rot. This is why elections have consequences, brothers and sisters. And if the green maniacs get a chance to continue to do what they do, well, a lot of people won't be celebrating Labor Day next year because they won't have jobs. We'll put this article up at thebottomlineshow.com. Elections have consequences. There's a cause and effect to everything. You can't just operate in a vacuum or in a bubble. And I think the greatest danger that we see in the culture right now, I mean, this happened back in the 1880s when the Labor Day movement came about. And, and the fact that there were so many people who were working jobs without good benefits, without good working conditions. I mean, the kids were being worked basically into the ground in these factories and the mills. And yet the, the workers had to step up and get the employer's attention. Either the employers didn't know how bad it was and didn't seem to care, or they did know and they didn't care. Someone had to make them aware. Today here on Labor Day, take just a moment. Thank the Lord for the employment that you have, the country with which you can uh, do that employment in, in which. But also to think about the people who are being badly mistreated. Take, maybe just take a, a little bit of an inventory about some of the things you have in your home some of the goods, the products that are, are sitting there and ask yourself the question, who made this? What country did it come from? Are they being oppressed in any way? Am I inadvertently, unwittingly supporting trafficking or anything like that? Those are fair questions to ask here on this Labor Day. I'll put a link up for this article about the ceiling fans up at thebottomlineshow.com. As we continue, pastor and author Dr. Jeremy McGarrity is going to talk about why now is the perfect opportunity for the 10-10-10 plan. That's coming up next as The Bottom Line continues. You're a Christian who's been injured, so you need Christian attorney Stephanie Cover of Cover Law to fight for you. With Stephanie, it's not just a routine legal process. It's a spiritual battle. She understands that a legal fight involves more than flesh and blood. It means confronting principalities and powers, and that's why she consistently prays with and for her clients. She forms long-lasting relationships with her clients, just as you would expect from someone who engages in spiritual battle alongside another believer. Praise for Stephanie pours in through cards, thank you texts, and letters from clients who thank her for checking up on them, coming to see them in the hospital, praying, and even finding alternative care when current care is inadequate. Inspired by Jesus' command to love one another, Stephanie uses her skill as an attorney and knowledge of insurance processes to fight for your completeness and healing. Don't wait any longer. Contact Stephanie Cover today at kbrightradio.com slash cover and let her take up your spiritual battle. Well, welcome to the Bottom Line Show, Labor Day 2023 edition. I'm Roger Marsh. We are kicking off the half hour here where the whole family gets together. This is the family dinner type of portion of the program. For those of you who are tuning in for the first time, uh, the Bottom Line Show was christened on the 19th of September 2011 on our flagship affiliate KBRT in Southern California. We have since added KNSN in Southern California, KCBC in Southern California, a couple of uh, low power translators in uh, 103.3 in National City, 100.7 in Corona, 94.7 in Modesto. 
And we are now also on in Colorado as well. AM 1220 KLDC carries the full 90 minutes of the program. And this half hour block also was transmitted a couple of days after broadcast to our sister station, AM 670 KLTT in the Denver Metro. So thanks to everybody who supports the program. And I always like to do this, especially on holidays, because I realize that um, uh, sometimes your holiday work schedule is a little different. We still have a lot of people who listen to the program on terrestrial radio. So grateful for the, uh, those who have either have a couple of radios on their desk or in their kitchen at home, like I do, um, or if you're listening in the car, going to and fro. And uh, if today is a holiday for you and you're traversing about wherever you are traversing, uh, thanks for tuning in. Really appreciate the fact that you have uh, uh, jumped on this today. Uh, Labor Day 2023 reminds us that the first official federal holiday for Labor Day took place on the first Monday of September in 1894. And the, it was uh, a reaction to uh, the first organization of labor. Remember, America's uh, history went from agricultural to industrial seemingly overnight after the end of the Civil War. And labor became a huge issue because people were coming off of their own farms that they owned and operated like small businesses, and they were going to work for other people. And the people whom they worked for said, hey, good, we need people. You need a job. This is the way you're going to make money now, so we'll call the shot. And people were working well past, you know, 12 hours a day, working six days a week. Most businesses understood that the seventh day was the Sabbath. That was a cultural thing that doesn't exist now. And uh, not that the Sabbath doesn't exist, but people knowing that it's the Sabbath. And kids were working. You know, child labor was running rampant. Wages were terrible. And organized labor actually organized a lot of different industries. I mean, there, did you know there was a jewel makers union? <laughs> I just read that this week. Amazing. But uh, typographers and farmers and accountants and uh, mill workers and mine workers and factory workers all started organizing. And on, on the first, it was September 5th, 1882, New York City held the first Labor Day parade where people who were organizing took the day off without pay and said, we're going to let everybody know what the world's like without our labor. And it then led to the haymaker market, or excuse me, hay market uh, riots in Chicago in 1886, whereas labor versus police. And by the time 1894 rolled around, there were 24 states that were honoring uh, the efforts of labor workers. So if you ever wondered why we get Labor Day as a federal holiday, it was kind of a peace offering between organized labor and employers and the government intervening, saying, "Hey, we'll we'll put the the kibosh on these riots." And we started to see improving wages and working conditions and things of that nature. So uh, what we celebrate today here on Labor Day is the fact that we do have a society where uh, people aren't indentured servants. Well, I mean, not ostensibly they are. If you've got a ton of debt and uh, you're trying to work your way out of it, then, yeah, you are kind of in that situation. But uh, you are. You just don't know it. You know, no one would say I'm a slave to anyone or anything, but if you are going to work because you can't make the car note or the credit card payment or whatever, Scripture says the uh, borrower is servant to the lender. And that's that's very uh, clear. But we as Christians also know that the labors that we engage in are to be fruitful, to be, uh, we're to be faithful. You know, we're to be steadfast in, in the calling and honoring the, the work that God does. And I, I believe that the Lord actually meets us in the workplace as well. Uh, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, 
Pastor Jeremy McGarity of Skyline uh, Wesleyan Church in San Diego is going to join me for an update on something. We talk about the labors of the church, not only working in the local community, but also a program that's an evangelistic outreach that they call the 101010 program. And uh, when you hear what the 101010 program entails, uh, you're going to be encouraged. Also, don't forget Skyline Radio, heard uh, on most of these Crawford stations to carry the bottom line show. Check your local listings for uh, broadcast releases and times. Uh, Jeremy McGarity joining me next as the bottom line continues. Joined for a special segment today here on The Bottom Line by Pastor Jeremy McGarity. Dr. McGarity is the lead pastor at Skyline Church here in the San Diego area. He's also the host of Skyline Radio, which airs on our flagship affiliate KBRT, weekday mornings at 6 a.m. and weeknights at 6.30 p.m. Pastor Jeremy McGarity, welcome back to The Bottom Line Show. Uh, thank you, Roger. Good to be with you. It's good to be with you, too. I mean, we'll get this out of the way. You're a diehard Padres fan. You played in the uh, Cardinal system for a number of years, uh, Rangers, et cetera. Um, I know that because you love baseball, the Padres made out like bandits at the trading deadline. Does that, that make you feel good? I mean, we're so fired up. I mean, uh, the text messages, we're going back and forth, all of our Padre buddies. It is an exciting time because, yeah. you know, the Dodgers have had the upper hand on us for so long. And this is one of those things that long term, it looks like we can finally start to match up with their lineup. Yeah. And, and we're just we're giddy. We're like a bunch of kids right. giddy right now. I mean, we, we just built a team like mm-hmm. in, in a matter of hours. That yeah. is phenomenal. I'm very excited about that. Well, and, you, and you talk about sins of commission and sins of omission. Hey, let's talk about the Skyline Radio program. We've loved having it here at the bottom line or show affiliates. And I know that you're into your second year with us now. The 6 a.m. in the morning on a.m. 740 and a.m. 1240 and then also 630 p.m. In, in the evening. At a time when a lot of ministries are going more podcast and multi-platform, you made the decision to say, hey, we're going to go terrestrial radio. Talk about why that's so important, not only for your ministry, but also for the church, too. Yeah, it's been incredible for us. You know, we certainly weren't sure uh, going into it, but just really felt like it would be a, another opportunity to outreach. And another opportunity to get the word out and not not sure what kind of return we might have on that. Just knowing it's important to have the seed of the word of God and, and people that be able to have an opportunity to receive it. And, you know, the response has been tremendous uh, every Sunday. It, it, I, I can't remember a Sunday right now that I haven't had someone come up to me and say, hey, we, we heard you on the radio and we wanted to come see the church. Love it. And that has been an awesome gateway that I, I really wasn't sure if I could expect that, mm-hmm. but uh, the fact that people are coming and people are looking for a church and even people that don't, you know, don't have a church, they're not, we're not just talking about swapping fish from aquarium to aquarium. We're, we're right. talking about people that don't have a church home and people that stumble across the program one way or another um, that are coming to church. And I got to tell you this one, cause I have this letter here. Um, it's over here. That is so powerful. This letter right here that I got from someone in jail. And I got to tell you the story about how this, how he heard the program. He was listening to an Angels game. He's up in uh, Santa Ana uh-huh. jail there. He was listening to an Angels game and it was going in and out fuzzy. And he said, I heard this, this preacher and it was kind of cutting in. And so, and there was a laughter in the church and he goes, I've never heard laughter in the church before. So I, <laughs> I said, who is this? Who is this guy? And he uh-huh. tuned it to our program and he listened to the whole thing. And he gave his life to Christ. And he wow. wrote a long letter about tuning in every night now, every single time he's able to, and how, you know, we sent him a bunch of resources. And so he gave his life to Christ uh, through, in jail, listening, mm. I guess they can listen to the radio, apparently. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. 
um, he tells me this long story about his whole life and how listening to the program as we shared the word of God uh, changed his life. And I, I, I just think, man, that, that's worth it. <laughs> yeah, it certainly is. Well, Skyline Radio, weekday mornings at 6 a.m., weeknights at 6.30 p.m. on K-Bright a.m. 740 in Orange County and a.m. 1240 in San Diego. And Pastor Jeremy McGarity, who's the Bible teacher on Skyline Radio, uh, the lead pastor at Skyline Church, is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. You know, I, I've heard from so many different ministry leaders, and it seems like when it comes to the, the local congregational church, the churches are falling into two categories. There are churches that are struggling, they're hanging on, they're trying to merge, they're doing whatever they can. And in some cases, they're just flat out, you know, they're, they're losing their pastor, they're losing their property, whatever. It's been a really tough go the past couple of years. And then some of the other ministries, many of the ministries that we have here on K-Bright are saying, you know, I don't want to sound, you know, like we're bragging or anything, but the last two years have been the best years we've ever had, you know, in our ministry. And some of these ministries go 40, 50 years. When last we spoke, you had a vision for what was going to happen through Skyline Church that God had given you. And I wanted to get an update on that. How, how are things going in your initiative? I think it was the 10-10-10 initiative. Correct. Yes, it's been incredible. It truly has. Um, seeing people get behind what is going on in terms of reaching more people. We have made it very clear our mandate as a church is we're to be a church that's on mission. We're not yes. a church that sits around and just kumbaya, and we're going to wait for the Lord to come back. Certainly, we get to fellowship. We get to do all of those things. But we are called to be on mission. And that means we got we to gotta care about the people that are outside our walls. And so we're going to do this initiative called 101010, which is reaching having 10 more churches. That could be church plants. It could be new satellite churches. Um, um, it could be any of those. We're going to have 10,000 people worshiping in those churches all within 10 years. And so wow. in order to do that, we're trying to make sure we can raise $10 million towards that initiative. And all of that, people got behind. They got behind it. And we started to see tremendous momentum in the giving and then also in um, just the mission, people getting behind the mission. So um, we found a church out in Kansas City that uh, is near an area where we had another church plant and the church had closed. So we purchased that church. We have refurbished that church. We got a bunch of families out there, about a dozen from one of our campuses here in San Diego that decided to move, make that their mission. And they are now out there. We got about 50 people on our launch team, and we're going to launch a church uh, in Kansas City, Missouri. So that's one of them. We have Arizona. A church closed down in Arizona, called us and gave us their campus. And so we are now in the middle of refurbishing that. We have a pastor for that campus that we just hired. And then we have two church plants in Montana. Montana is a fast-growing place with a lot of Californians, of course, Mm -hmm. moving there. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we have a church we're planting in Helena, Montana, called Buffalo Church. Hmm. And then we're, we're also planting a church in Bozeman, Montana, called Revival Church. Love it. Right downtown Montana. So four of them, we're off and running, uh, already four towards our goal. And that does, we don't even count the four we planted before we started 10, 10, 10, because we planted four right before uh, starting 10, 10, 10. So we have big faith and, and God's blessing that big faith so far. I love that. Pastor Jeremy McGarity is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. He's the lead pastor at Skylight Church in San Diego. You can hear him on Skyline Radio every weeknight at 6.30 p.m. and every weekday morning at 6 right here on K-Bright, AM 740 in Southern California and AM 1240 specifically in San Diego. I I, I don't know what I was expecting to hear in terms of the update. I I had a feeling I knew where the numbers were going to go, Jeremy, but the, the idea that you are planting churches where God is leading you as opposed to getting a call committee together, a strategizing committee, 
humidity. I mean, I realize that this is your background, it's your your area of expertise, but how much of it is, okay, God, we are, I used to work for a nonprofit group where our, uh, our COO used to get down with us whenever we'd talk about budgets or anything like that. He always left 10 to 15%, as he called it, these are the God spots. This is the blank spot on the balance sheet where we don't know where the money's coming from, but we are going to go where God leads us to. How much of this is you just praying and saying, God, we have open hands and we want to see where the opportunity is. And how much of it is that kind of strategic? Well, this would be a good place for us to plant a church. It really has been that open-handed idea uh, from the beginning. And that's the term that we've used to say, look, Lord, whatever you want us to do, wherever you want us to go, you know, that bring that to us and we will, we'll, we'll do it. Like, we'll just, we'll send people, we'll send finances, we'll get behind it. And that's, what's been happening. I mean, certainly the strategy of, you know, 15 minutes from us, 20, 20 minutes from us, uh, we've planted churches in those areas already. And we looked at that strategy as, you know, Hey, a lot of our people are coming from this area. It'd be a great place to be able to plant because we know the statistics, people don't drive typically over 20 minutes uh, to get to their church. And so we planted in those areas and that's, that's strategy and that's wise. And we'll continue to look at that. But we looked at this new initiative more as we don't know where God's going to lead us. We don't know what's going to open up, uh, but you know, we're going to be open to what God says. And so as this Kansas city thing came to us and then the Arizona thing came to us and, and, and Buffalo, uh, Buffalo church and, and the revival church in Montana, you know, we thought, Lord, if you want us to do that, we'll do that. And so we've, we've got our planter, we got the finance together. And then we just sent people say, Hey, just a lot of you are moving out of California. Anyway, mm-hmm. go to Montana and be a part of this mission uh, that God is doing. And so that's been tremendously helpful because people will ask us, Hey, what, what's your next spot? And right now we don't have a next spot until God brings it to us. We're saying, right. you know what, we're open to it, whatever God leads. We'll see. Uh, we want to do a North County thing here in San Diego, but we're just waiting on that as well to see what God does. So it's definitely trying to hear from God and what he wants us to do. I love it. Pastor Jeremy McGarity is my guest today here on the bottom line. He's the lead pastor at Skyline Church. We're talking about the impact of the 101010 initiative with the church. 10 churches, uh, 10 years, $10 million raised to do that. And, you know, I, when I think about that, the, the money involved, especially in places where you're talking about going, uh, it's not cheap to buy property, refurbished buildings and things like that, but it sounds like God is taking your loaves and fish and blessing them mightily in these, these areas. Talk about the, the radio broadcast for just a moment as we kind of wrap up our conversation. I mean, you mentioned at the outset, you're hearing from people every week at church. You're, you're hearing from the, the inmate in the Orange County Jail that uh, gave his life to the Lord because of uh, your teaching. Uh, talk about what you see in the future for that too, because it seems like the radio ministry of Skyline Church and Skyline Radio goes hand in glove with your 101010 initiative. Absolutely. Being able to talk about it on the radio and to have that, um, that wider, that wider reach. Uh, and we've said it in some of our messages on the show is this, you know, Hey, if, if you got a group of people and you're in an area, you need a church, talk to us. Like we would love to be able to hear from you. And we have everything set up, ready to go. It's not, it's not necessarily from scratch. We're able to, uh, we have models where we can go in and we can really start to understand that particular community. Each community is different, but at the same time, there are some very clear principles that we have to apply in each setting that really help make it successful. And so that, that kind of outreach is, is helped. We've had people come and just say, hey, I heard, I heard about your initiative on the radio and how can I be involved? Like, I want to go to one of these places. And yeah. so we, we talked about that. And uh, of course, we have a couple kind of in the hopper that right now that we're looking at because so many families from our church 
have moved to these areas. Tennessee is one of them, Nashville, mm-hmm. Franklin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so you look at all these families that have moved out of California because of all these crazy mandates and all the things that have gone on in California. Uh, we say, well, let's not just lose these people. And, and inevitably they get there and they go, There's, I can't find a church or I want my home church. And it's like, yeah, let's, let's start something there. And it always starts. It could start small. It doesn't have to be huge right away. And we can go from there. And so that's all help. The radio program has helped get the word out and get people on board as well. Well, your prayers and financial support, of course, keep the, the radio ministry humming, but also this initiative that Skyline Church has, as more and more churches, I know Dr. Tony Evans is doing an online membership for people who are watching because during the pandemic, more and more people were watching online and, and kind of feeling like that was their home church too. So I would I encourage you to check out skylinechurch.org. And if you are in an area that uh, if you, maybe you're that maybe it's not an easy drive uh, to Skyline in East County, uh, San Diego, but you want to watch and see what's going on, or of course, listen to the radio ministry each and every weekday, six o'clock in the morning, 630 in the evening on Cape Bright AM 740 here in SoCal and uh, AM 1240 in San Diego. I encourage you to uh, uh, to consider Skyline Church as becoming your home church, or maybe you're going to be part of this 101010 initiative and God's speaking to your heart right now. Pastor Jeremy McGarity, how can we pray for you and your family during this time of excitement, growth, this real explosive time for Skyline? Yeah, we'll be praying for uh, praying for my son as he's getting married here, and uh, really thrilled about that. I have three boys, and my oldest is getting married, and congratulations! Uh, we're, we're just really thrilled about that. We we'll pray for that, and uh, and then the, the initiative wise, we are we're definitely praying for that continued uh, finances. We're continuing to pray for the people, and and we're continuing to pray that these projects would come together. There's a lot of moving parts with with all of that, and then just the wisdom mm-hmm. where we're praying for God's wisdom to know the right people in the right places. And, uh, you know, and you can, you can just pray for this. I mean, I, I'm, I've, my college, San Diego Christian College, phenomenal college. Um, and we, I've joined in to try to help that college. And I, we appreciate your prayers for the college. Right now, the future is bright. I'm excited about it. And, I, and just as a, a way to advertise for the college, if you're looking for a college, San Diego Christian is it. The only college in San Diego that holds to biblical inerrancy and to the primacy of, of the Lord Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And so we're, we're fired up about that and uh, pushing for it. Be praying for that. That'd be awesome. We'd appreciate well, it. I'll tell you what, you said a mouthful there in terms of even these days all across the country, many schools that are quote unquote Christian, call themselves Christian colleges, really don't line up with the inerrancy of scripture. And the fact that San Diego Christian does and is the only one in San Diego proper. Uh, this says a lot, and I can understand why the attacks would come fast and furious, and we're praying that God helps them uh, navigate the waters through this time, and I'm, it's great that you, Pastor Jeremy McGarity, are helping out your alma mater, you know, by giving them the props that they deserve in that regard. Pastor Jeremy McGarity, lead pastor Skyline Church, skylinechurch.org, and the Bible teacher you hear on Skyline Radio, uh, weekday mornings at 6 a.m. and weeknights at 6.30 here on K-Bright AM 740 and AM 1240 in San Diego. Uh, Jeremy, always great to spend time with you. Jeremy McGarity with Skyline Church, thanks for being with us today here on The Bottom Line. Thank you, Roger. It's a pleasure. Great conversation with Dr. Jeremy McGarity today here on The Bottom Line, Labor Day 2023. And you can hear Skyline Radio at uh, select times all throughout the uh, broadcast day on Crawford Broadcasting Stations, like, of course, our flagship affiliate, KBRT, uh, features uh, 
Dr. McGarity every weekday morning at 6.30 and weeknights at 6, as I recall. And then it's noon, uh, 12.30 rather, on KCBC. And uh, we'll put the rest of the listings up at thebottomlineshow.com. Some final thoughts about the labors of what we do here on Labor Day, uh, especially from a Christian perspective. That's coming up next as The Bottom Line continues. One of the greatest gifts that we can give to an expectant mother is the gift of the first picture she'll ever have of her son or daughter in the womb. That comes through an ultrasound, and our friends at Preborn have an opportunity for us to make more of these ultrasounds a reality. Every time you give a donation of $28 to Preborn, that means one more ultrasound can take place. But how about giving enough money for an ultrasound machine? The cost is $15,000. It's a sizable investment. But every ultrasound machine can do 250 ultrasounds per year and lasts at least 10 years. Now take that cost $15,000 and divide that by 2,500. Okay, now you begin to see how the cost per ultrasound goes down even more once we have more ultrasound machines to donate into preborn clinics. Make a donation right now to preborn. It's completely tax deductible, and every penny, every dollar you donate right now is going to the purchase of an ultrasound machine. 833-850-BABY is the number to call, 833-850-2229, or go to kbrightradio.com. That's K-B-R-I-T-E radio.com. Click on the banner for Preborn and make your best donation right now. $25, $50, $100, it all counts towards saving babies' lives. kbrightradio.com, hit the Preborn banner right now. Welcome back to the Bottom Line Show. Roger Marsh here. My thanks again to Dr. Jeremy McGarity, senior pastor at Skyline Wesleyan Church in San Diego and the primary principal speaker on Skyline Radio, which is heard every weekday on K-Bright in Southern California, KNSN, which is K-Bright AM 1240, and FM 103.3 and FM 100.7 in Corona. And then in uh, for our Northern California listeners, uh, you listen to Dr. McGarity every weekday at 1230 in the afternoon on uh, KCBC. I appreciate the, uh, uh, the, the practical approach that Dr. McGarity has for uh, not only ministering to the congregation at the Skyline Churches, but also reaching out to the community and then the idea to plant the churches. You know, when I think about the, uh, the, the word labor, and here we are on Labor Day commemorating this from an eternal perspective, as Christians, we labor for things that don't spoil, Scripture tells us. Uh, the world labors for things that will eventually fall apart. You know, you save up all this money to buy that car, for example, and then the car loses value or it begins to rust and wear out. And all of a sudden you realize, wow, I, I, for the money I put into this car, I could have built a church or I could have uh, you know, bought an ultrasound machine or something like that for preborn. But it's interesting, you know, to keep that eternal perspective because I know there are there are things. If you read in Scripture, there are things that have been built and purchased, and you know, uh, large transactions. This is something I, something that I really had to come to terms with. I, I really I, I came from pretty humble upbringings, and uh, when I was a, a newly married young dad working in Christian media, I didn't have a lot, and. Um, find myself in a situation now where things are a little bit different, but my attitude is the same. I mean, I hold on to things that are important and look at the eternal value of what we do. So I, I want to encourage you on this Labor Day, if you are in a job that maybe you don't like, it's kind of boring, kind of frustrating, I want to encourage you to take that to the Lord and ask him if he will show you the reason why you feel this way. Um, is it because the work is unfulfilling? Is it because uh, you're being undervalued and maybe you need to move on. Sometimes God will keep closing doors where you are to get you to look for the open ones somewhere else. 
But also to take a look at this from the perspective of, am I doing God's will? Am I pursuing what he wants me to do? Or am I frustrated because these are things that I want to do and they're just not coming my way? I mean, Lisa and I in the month of August, it was the first month ever, I think, that we got to spend really good quality time with all four grandkids. And it was, I mean, for like days at a time, hangout time. And at the end of the month, we said, wow, it was really great to have those touch points with them. It's also really great to send them home and (laughs) not have to be with them all the time. But it's interesting. If you ever want to see the true heart of man, hang around toddlers and see how self-centered they are. And, uh, you know, we'd like to say, oh, they're they're not that mean. They're just kind of trying to figure out the world where they are. Well, they are trying to figure out the world, but they're trying to figure it out through the lens of their understanding and their own understanding is I want what I want when I want it. And we're not too far off from that. I mean, apart from Christ, we kind of stay emotionally toddler-like for the rest of our earthly days. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, especially when it comes to the work he's called you to do. That is good news. And that's the bottom line. For our KCBC audience, it's time for Dr. Uh, time for Rabbi Schneider and discovering the Jewish Jesus. For those who are still with us on the network here, I wanna talk about the history of communication in the culture today, especially as it pertains to the workforce, how it helps inform us and how we may be in the middle of a new revolution and not even aware of it. Coming up next as the bottom line continues. Welcome back to this Labor Day edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh and so very, very glad that you've tuned in today. Um, Labor Day, of course, is the day, goes back to a holiday, first became a national holiday on the for the first Monday in September, back in 1894. And this was something that had been kind of kicking around since the end of the Civil War. The U.S. was uh, going into the Industrial Revolution out of the Agricultural Revolution. And as people were leaving the farm and going to work in factories and mines and mills and things of that nature, uh, their labors were certainly not going to go in vain. But the uh, the idea that these people who had been working in an agrarian society for a while were now moving into this... Uh, Uh, industrial one meant that there was a new dynamic and that was the employer-employee relationship and it's interesting to see how you know after during the war effort you know not too much concerned about it because people were just trying to get the country back on track but from the end of the civil war until for the next 15-20 years or so organized labor began to show up and say hey wait a minute you know the the rail workers need to be in a union they're building this transatlantic if you can imagine not being able to go across country that easily but the railways made it happen and now we just get in a plane and fly wherever we want to but we didn't have that technology back then and the people who were working doing that didn't necessarily have the uh the means to uh you know do start their own you know railway or start their own mine or mill and so it was through organized labor and the uh, and a couple of uh, unfortunate events like the Haymarket riots of 1886 that led uh, the government to finally recognize organized labor as something that was valuable. And we've had this holiday on the books ever since. Um, toward that end, I, I, I really, I, I'm kind of taken with the whole, I've been thinking a lot about the whole uh, industrial revolution you know, that happened in the late uh, 19th century. And then the information revolution that has been going on right now. And it's been very interesting to, to see how, not only how this is impacting our culture, it's impacting business, it's impacting education, it's impacting uh, schools and things of that nature. I mean, I know that going back 20 years ago, uh, I had the privilege of working on a, a book about 
the internet. <laughs> sure, small topic. Let's give it a shot. Um, but social media, uh, instant messaging was first, you know, happening, and then there were a couple. Friendster was a page that became MySpace that uh, eventually gave way to Facebook. But the social media sites were, uh, and then AIM, uh, America Online Instant Messaging, um, became all the rage, and kids were getting. Uh, smartphones that had uh, texting capabilities and then the iPhone shows up in 2006 it just kind of went on from there but what was interesting about the information age was I remember writing a bound book you know like a book like we give away here at the bottom line show and on internet safety and it was a book that only sold a few thousand copies because people there wasn't a huge market for that but it was interesting to see how much of that material that I found for that book I found online and I remember going back and forth with the guy who was editing the uh, guy named Marcus yours who was the editor for uh, uh, Thomas Nelson and uh, he was going back and forth and every time I would put in here's an article I found here's a study whatever he would grill me I mean I, I, I think I spent more time editing the book and proving you know defending that thesis then I did actually gathering the information and writing it because they were just so uncertain. How do you know this is here? It's here today, gone tomorrow. There was such a distrust. And nowadays, when it comes to the internet, that's where most people live. That's where most people get their main source. I mean, I, I don't mind saying this. I, I don't like saying it, but I don't mind saying it, that being a baby boom slash Gen X uh, person, who recently turned 62, so now I can start collecting Social Security if I want to, uh, but I don't right now because I'm still working and um, certainly not out to seed just yet. But it's interesting to think that people in my generation, it, we grew up on the World Book Encyclopedia, Encyclopedia Britannica, colleges had those big old thick textbooks that didn't get printed every year and um, you know there was a lot of peer-reviewed verifiable information that went in there that everybody agreed on we didn't get all of the history in there and we didn't get it all right but the stuff that we did agree on we agreed on as a nation i say we collectively but every time there's some kind of media revolution two things happen first of all of course the culture changes radically um, and i'm talking from the printing press to the discovery of electricity, to the, uh, the radio and the transistor radio, to the television, and then, of course, to the, uh, to the Internet. And seeing how everything is you know, online as it stands right now. When I'm doing the bottom line show from my home office, I'm using an Internet app that connects me studio to studio. When I was coming up, if you had a studio to studio transmitter link, like Rich Bueller, my predecessor here on this program, used to have, it costs several thousand dollars to install that line and several thousand more to maintain it. And now uh, you can get free apps all over the place and you can plug them into your iPhone, you can plug them into your PC or your Mac and have that kind of connection and you get studio quality for free. So I'm, I'm able to do network television commercial voiceovers from my bedroom or my home office, which is a bedroom. And it's, it's great. I mean, I used to spend half a day driving from Orange County into uh, Studio City to record a few commercial billboards, do a session that paid a little bit of money and then go home. And now I could do that in 15 minutes when I want to. It's, it's, it's remarkable. It's great technologically for the transmission of in, that kind of you know, goods and services. But what about information? What about the currency that we travel in in terms of how people get their news of the world? I'm old enough to remember 
uh, delivering a newspaper. I mentioned this recently. Uh, working as the, uh, I, I threw the Orange County Register for a while. I did the LA Times for a while. That used to be the principal source of news for people. You know, it was in the print. Um, it was delivered. There were morning editions and afternoon editions. There, sometimes a town, my grandmother lived in Whittier, California for years. She used to get both of the Whittier papers. There was a Whittier Daily News came out in the morning and the East Whittier Review that came out in the afternoon. She got both of them and devoured them along with U.S. News and World Report that had no pictures in it. Nothing but words. I hated that magazine. I'd go visit my grandmother and I wanted to read Sports Illustrated and all she had was U.S. News and World Report. And I'm like, oh, grandma, this is so boring. It was very helpful because when you are voracious in your desire to uh, consume media, even back then, I read a lot of stuff about a lot of things that nine and 10 year olds didn't read about because that's all there was. But when you think about the uh, what, where we are moving right now in this brave new world, in 2016, Donald Trump changed the face of American politics by it, it became a permanent scowl, I guess you might say. Because this outsider got through the globalists and the, uh, the one-worlders who were kind of running everything and all of a sudden became a social media sensation, very polarizing, good for that business because people were always talking about him. And he actually turned out to be a better president than most of us thought we would. However, you know, 2016, Donald Trump was elected. Remember the Brexit revolution in 2016? A lot of people said that this was kind of a... Uh, uh, a passing fad, this kind of increase in nationalism and populism. Once Joe Biden was reelected or reelected to the White House, he had spent eight years as vice president. Now he's been elected as president. I think a lot of people on the left, not the progressive camp, because he really had to beat them off with a stick. I mean, he picked Kamala Harris as his running mate because he wanted to appease the populist, she being the most progressive senator in the history of the United States Senate. And of course, being a woman, being a woman of color, being a woman of mixed race heritage. I mean, she she symbolized what the Democrats were trying to do, which is let's be progressive and check off as many boxes as we can. She's kind of turned out to be something of a dud of a vice president. She, there's not a whole lot of scintillating commentary coming from the, uh, the vice presidential uh, mansion, as it were. But a lot of people looked at Joe Biden as the, you know, the president saying, OK, now there's going to be a restored order. We're going to have liberals and moderates and conservatives. And uh, it's, you know, this whole online revolution thing, you know, it, it's going to quiet down. We're going to get a little more uh, normal. Uh, well, quite frankly, the fact that uh, Joe Biden has taken office has actually almost made things worse. And this is not just a whether or not you liked him or supported him. Uh, I came across uh, an article that was written recently by Michael Schellenberger and Alex Gutentag, which I think is interesting, Alex, good day, if you will, in Germany. And it was published at uh, Substack, which is a, uh, an, online, uh, an online publication. And I, I've been following Michael Schellenberger for about a year. He's a doctor. He uh, focuses on environmental issues and cultural phenomenon. And he posted this about a week ago. And I, we're going to take a short break. And when we come back, I want to talk about Labor Day from the perspective of a, uh, a, a, a new America and a new world order that has been redefined by where people get their sources of information. And uh, this piece by uh, Michael Schellenberger, it doesn't take long to read. We'll post it up at thebottomlineshow.com. But it's titled, The Revolution Has Only Just Begun. And he focuses on 
the debates a couple weeks ago and the stellar performance of Vivek Ramaswamy, but also as a telling sign of, well, what does that mean for us in the future when you consider the world that people who support Mr. Ramaswamy for president, where they live in and how different it is than the world that you and I live in. We'll talk about that coming up next as the bottom line continues. You can protect against market volatility without investing all your money into bonds. Wilson Financial has simply better alternatives. The last 12 months, there has been almost $1.7 trillion invested in investment-grade bonds. This move to safety locks up money for a long time of guaranteed low returns. Why? Market volatility. Well, my comment is why go with low earnings for a long time when you can get great earnings with a solid real estate-backed investment paying you 6% over the next three years. After three years, you can invest in another option, or you can do what most of our investors do and reinvest in another one of our new exclusive 6% accounts. This strategy gives you the best of both options without settling for many years of low returns. Our 3D Money 6% account pays you great interest while you're not subjecting yourself to market volatility. Call 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970, or visit kbrightradio.com slash Wilson Financial and ask about Dennis Wilson's exclusive real estate-backed 6% investment account. Wilson Financial Services, for simply better alternatives. Welcome back to the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, and uh, taking a look here, doing a little analysis, balance, and clarity, if you will, here on Labor Day about the workforce, about the number of people who are working from home, the number of people who have benefited from online, you know, Zoom technology and apps and things like that to do what they do. So I'm sure there are a lot of people who are actually not taking Labor Day off today. They're working and cashing in the holiday some other time because why not? Because they can. I, the other day I was uh, having a conversation with my daughter and son-in-law. They had a uh, an appointment to get to. And uh, as Brian was dashing out the door, he had his laptop in tow, a little like iPad or something like that. And he was going to be working while they were having their appointment because that's just, that's the new world. He's 39 and that's the world that he has inhabited. I want to read you this piece though. It's written by Michael Schellenberger. If you're not following him, he testifies before Congress quite a bit. Dr. Schellenberger uh, has been a pretty staunch advocate fighting against government mandates for masks and COVID and things like that. And and I aligned with him on that area of I'm not big on the government mandates. I mean, I'm not saying you shouldn't wear a mask or get a vaccine. I'm just saying the government shouldn't be telling us what to do. And especially when it comes to the environment, as we talked about in the earlier segments, this is a government that wants to go with more energy efficient ceiling fans, for example, to cut down on kilowatt hours and save the environment, but it'll cost $86 million a year in new technology to create the demand for these new energy efficient fans. The old fans will be removed and they will just sit in landfills and the average consumer will save $3.90 per fan over the lifetime of the fan in energy costs. So in other words, it's not going to be good for the environment, but most people who who go online and watch podcasts and swear by every word those people say may not get the whole story. They'll just get the isolated version. Here's what Michael Schellenberger had to say about how the rise in the candidacy of Republican uh, presidential hopeful Vivek Ramaswamy uh, says to us in the nation today about how people are being informed and what level of wisdom they can actually achieve as a result. Schellenberger writes, the election of Joe Biden as president in 2020 restored the liberal world order. 
experts and pundits, journalists told us three years ago this fall. The apparent rise of nationalism and populism contributing to the 2016 revolutions of Brexit and the election of Donald Trump were a passing fad, they said. Then Biden pulled the U.S. out of Afghanistan, Russia invaded Ukraine, and the West took the side of the latter. The U.S. has pushed Russia, China, and other BRICS nations, and that's uh, Brazil, Russia, uh, India, China, and um, uh, Sudan, uh, or Saudi Arabia, rather, pushed those nations together. Instead of returning us to the post-Cold War liberal world order, Biden has put us in the middle of a new Cold War with Russia. In a sense, we're already in the post-globalization period, though. The effort to bring major industries such as semiconductors back to the U.S. has been overwhelmingly bipartisan, and yet few are optimistic. While 60% of Americans say their own finances are good, only 30% say the same thing about the economy on the whole. Revolution is in the air. On August 23rd, Fox News hosted the first Republican debate, and on X, the social media platform formerly known as Twitter, former Fox News leader Tucker Carlson counter-programmed Fox with an interview with Donald Trump, which began a mischievous, or mischievous, five minutes before the Fox debate. Now, you've got to, this is Michael Schellenberger's report. When you hear the statistics as to how many people watched the debate versus how many people watched Donald Trump's interview with Tucker Carlson on Twitter slash X, this is where the world has basically become two different places. Tucker Carlson's interview with Trump was more noteworthy for manifesting the disruption of traditional news media by social media than it was for anything Trump said. Instead, uh, indeed, the former president seemed subdued and even a bit sad well before Tucker raised the imminent question of his booking at a courthouse in Georgia. Now, listen to this. Where Fox boasted of nearly 13 million people watching the debate on August 23rd, X, Twitter, showed an astonishing 250 million views of Tucker Carlson's interview with Donald Trump. 250 million views versus 13 million people who watched some or all of the debate. Now, being fair, even if for some reason the number of people watching the Donald Trump, Tucker Carlson interview on X was only a tenth of that, it's still twice as many people. Nearly 24 hours later, Donald Trump returned to X, and after two and a half years of being off the platform, he posted his mugshot and the words, electoral interference, never surrender. As for the Republican debate, though, this is also very interesting. It was stolen by a 38-year-old entrepreneur who introduced himself by unabashedly stealing one of Barack Obama's old lines, calling himself, quote, a skinny guy with a funny last name. Biotech centimillionaire, a tenfold millionaire, uh, Vivek Ramaswamy, who has risen in the polls to challenge Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, closed the debate by using the R word. Here's what he said. The real choice we face in this primary is this. Do you want a super PAC, Political Action Council, puppet, or do you want a patriot who speaks the truth? Do you want incremental reform, which is what you're hearing about, or do you want revolution? I stand on the side of the American Revolution rather than this incrementalism. By the intense reaction to his performance, Ramaswamy won over many on both the right as well as the center right. Andrew Yang, uh, who was responding to uh, uh, Michael Schellenberger, he said, I have a history of supporting uh, uh, non-politicians. 
Uh, Melissa Chen of The Spectator said, each time I was reminded that Twitter is a distortion of the real world, so I resisted jumping on the Vivek Ramaswamy bandwagon until now. Now, Michael Schellenberger writes, for those of us who believe that COVIDism, climatism, and wokeism are serving as substitute religions for anxious secular liberalists, liberals rather, it's been refreshing to hear Ramaswamy articulate the linkage. He said, the reason we have that mental health epidemic is that people are so hungry for purpose and meaning at a time when family, faith, patriotism, and hard work have all but disappeared. What we really need is a tonal reset from the top, saying that this is what it means to be an American. Now, I've been saying for the past several months, I'm not a Vivek Ramaswamy fan. I don't think he's electable as president. However, one of the things I do appreciate about his campaign is that he messages well. He presents the message well. And to hear that message coming from a guy who is a professing Hindu here in the U.S., it's funny. Everybody was okay with Nikki Haley's family coming from India, her family of Sikh heritage, or we would say Sikh, S-I-K-H. But part of the reason we're okay with Nikki Haley is A, she's been an elected official as a governor and did a spectacular job as the U.S. ambassador to the United Nations. But secondly, because Nikki Haley's a Christian. She grew up in a, a strict Sikh home and became a Christian in middle school or high school, I believe. So... You want someone with those Eastern values, but who's a Christian versus somebody who's just a flat out Hindu. Schellenberger continues, few believe that Ramaswamy can defeat Trump to win the Republican nomination. He may simply be running for vice president, uh, he's, but he has remained ostentatiously on Trump's side. But the defining moment of the debate came when a Fox moderator asked the candidates if they would still support Trump as the Republican nominee, even if he were convicted. And Ramaswamy shot up his hand like a contestant on a game show or like the teacher's pet that he probably likely was. Now check this out. The simultaneous performances on Wednesday were about something much bigger than who will be the presidential candidates of 2024. It's about revolution, both technological and political. The internet revolution that began 30 years ago is continuing apace, while the populist political revolution of the right has just begun. The lag between the communications revolution and the political change is a familiar one for anyone who's considered the impact of the rise of radio in the 1920s, television in the 1950s, and presidential contests in the 30s and 60s. While Donald Trump took advantage of social media in 2016, most political experts believe that it had really little impact on his election. By contrast, Vivek Ramaswamy's rise came exactly from doing all manner of podcasts, from big to medium and even some surprisingly small ones. Whether or not the Medium is the Message podcast on the right certainly have one, uh, we are in a crisis of meaning. Some may remember that crisis of meaning was the mantra of Bill and Hillary Clinton back in 1992. Back then, the left's solution was economic globalization. Today, the right's is economic nationalism. And under that vision, which further strengthened its grip over the Republican Party on Wednesday night, simply bringing back some microchip manufacturing from Taiwan, which is on the verge of slipping under China's control, is just the beginning. More broadly, we could see a radical alert altering, excuse me, of the world order and the new competition between Western liberal democracies in China or Russia for the loyalty of non-aligned nations in the developing world. Michael Schellenberger concluded his comments by saying, as such, the conventional wisdom was, once again, wrong. 
The election of Joe Biden as president in 2020 did not restore the liberal world order and maybe even may have destabilized it all the more. It's clear in retrospect that the populist and nationalist revolutions of 2016 not only weren't a fad, they were the future. Interesting to see how these revolutions are impacting politics, impacting the world of work, and impacting the way we live. So how now shall we live in the face of these revolutions? We'll take a quick break and come back and uh, talk about that on the other side of this break as the bottom line continues. You know the old expression, a picture is worth a thousand words? Well, if you're an expectant mom and you go to a pregnancy health center that is in partnership with Preborn, one picture can say way more than that. And that picture I'm talking about is an ultrasound picture. Every donation that goes to Preborn goes to providing ultrasounds for women who are expecting children and they want to know what all of their options are. When you call 833-850-BABY right now, you give a gift of $28 that provides one ultrasound. But if you give a gift toward the purchase of an ultrasound machine, now that's a $15,000 investment, but every ultrasound machine can do 250 ultrasounds per year and last a minimum of 10 years. That's 2,500 ultrasounds available to women right now. Think of all the babies, thousands of babies' lives that will be saved by your donation to Preborn right now. Call 833-850-BABY. 833-850-BABY. That's 833-850-2229. Make your best donation right now. $50, $100. Maybe you want to give $15,000. It's completely tax deductible. We've had a couple of bottom line listeners step up and do just that. 833-850-BABY. 833-850-BABY. That's 833-850-2229. Call Preborn right now. Welcome back to this Labor Day edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. was thinking about uh, something we just reflected on here in the preceding segment, uh, the Substack piece from Michael Schellenberger uh, talking about how the radio revolution in the 1920s and the television revolution in the 1950s led to some political upheaval in the 30s and 60s, respectively. And now we find ourselves uh, eight years removed from the Donald Trump revolution of the 2016 election, which started in 2015, and then also the Brexit uh, debacle that happened in 2016 in Europe as well. And as we look at where we are as a nation, it takes about 10 years for these things to catch up. But now you're about to see a revolution coming from the so-called right wing in the United States, the group that was told that uh, a Trump presidency would be good for America and then didn't anticipate the pushback in 2020, was told that there would be a red wave in 2022. And well, that never materialized. It kind of became a pink blip. And now here in 2024, Look out for another unusual messenger, Vivek Ramaswamy, 38-year-old multi-gazillionaire, tech entrepreneur, uh, understands medicine, understands the law, understands how to you know, work the business world, and is preaching a message that's resonating with a lot of people. So the question we have to ask as Christians is, well, who, where do you put your support? Where do you put your hope? A lot of Christians wound up breaking fellowship with each other over their support of or lack thereof for Donald Trump. Would a a Hindu young man like Vivek Ramaswamy bring people in the church closer together or drive them further apart? Here's my response. Read your Bible and pray, and then go to the polls and vote based on what God tells you to do. At the end of the day, we're not electing a pope, we're not electing a priest, we're not electing a pastor, as the old adage says. We're electing a president or governor or senator, wherever you might be uh, sitting right now. 
and we think about the impact that they'll have on our labor, on the work, on the taxes that we have to pay. But ultimately, this is the good news of the gospel. No matter how hard you work, you'll never be able to do the work that Jesus did for you on the cross. No matter what line of work to which you are called, as long as you are faithful to God in that work, he will bless you, he will honor you. No matter how much effort you think you have to put in to make something happen, please understand that Jesus did pay it all on the cross. All to him I owe and so do you. Sin had left a crimson stain, crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. I love the closing line from that hymn that they used to end the Through the Bible broadcast each and every day here on our stations because it reminds us that for all the effort that we do, the ultimate goal is not going to be, and I saved people, or I got rid of my own sin, or I paid the penalty for it. The fruit of your labor is to provide for your family, to make the path a little easier for someone else to walk, but ultimately to be faithful to the calling to which God has called you to. Serve him, work diligently, faithfully for him. That's the bottom line.